Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. your word is that living and active two-edged sword. God, I thank you that in a life filled with so many possible errors and so many voices and so much, uh, honestly, noise, but I thank you that your word stands apart from that noise, speaks into the, the chaos of life, speaks into the craziness that we experience.
morning we are continuing in our series in Nehemiah called Redo, where we're looking at uh, how God brought back the children of Israel to uh, the city of Jerusalem, how he used Nehemiah to lead them in the rebuilding of the walls and the reestablishing of the city. And what we found is that Nehemiah now has come to a place where he, uh, despite the fact that they've done all this work, despite the fact that where we're at in the, the narrative, the walls are rebuilt, the people have not yet been rebuilt. The people are still scattered. The people are still disorganized. The people are still not the people that they're called to be. And we saw last week how Nehemiah is now setting proper priority for the people of God. And, and what I want us to see this morning before we jump into our text in Nehemiah is, is this. It's Nehemiah has discovered that it's not the external circumstances that cause the people to be in ruin, but internal constructs that have caused the people to be in ruin. It's the way they perceive and process. It's the way they think and they respond. It's, it, it's what they believe at the very core. You see, the, the people thought, the people were convinced that, well, if we just get here and we just somehow are able to accomplish this task, if we can adjust external circumstances, then we'll have security, we'll have identity, and we'll know our destiny. If we can just somehow get these things done, if we, we build these walls, we'll be able to be secure. People won't be able to come in and attack us and rob us and, and take advantage of us. We'll be able to control it, and, and they'll be able to know who we are, because we'll be able to point and say, hey, look, look at my walls. That's who we are. We're Jerusalem. Look at the way we built them, the way we structured them, and we'll be known amongst all the people. And if those two things are the case, then maybe we'll be able to have our destiny back, and we'll have our purpose back, and we'll know why we're here, and we'll be able to accomplish the great things God's called us to do. And I want to propose to you that that's the same very thing that we do. We somehow think that if we can, we can, we can control or create our external circumstances, that somehow that will enable us to be secure, know who we are, and to know our destiny, know our purpose. That, that somehow if I can just get that right job, or if I can just buy the right house or the right car, or if I can dress a certain way, or if I can lose the weight or gain the weight, or, or whatever I want to do, if I can just somehow do these external things, then, then I'll have security. I'll, I won't be able to be hurt by people, and I won't be able to be, be, be swayed by things, but I'll be secure. And I'll know who I am, and more importantly to us, oftentimes, others will know who I am. They'll be able to look at me, and I'll be saying, look, look at my boat. That's who I am. I have a boat. I have a nice car. I have nice things. This is who I am. And uh, somehow from that, we'll be able to infer why we exist. And I want to propose to you this that just like those in the day of Nehemiah, that's how it works because there are things internally inside of us that are controlling and dictating how we see things and how we respond to things and, and how we we are able to, to move and, and manipulate through life is controlled so much by internal things. And so here Nehemiah is calling the people to, to more than this, and he's trying to set proper priority. And the, the question we might ask is, how does he do this? What tool, what instrument does, does God use through Nehemiah to do these things? And uh, so for that, we're going to go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to read some Bible this morning. Nehemiah chapter 8. So then all the people gathered as one, as one man into the square before the water gate. There's no water gate. I don't know if you remember that. 
And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, the ears of all the people were attentive to the law, to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the purpose. And beside him were a bunch of dudes, and I'm not even going to try to read their name. They were on his right hand and on his left hand. Verse 5. And Ezra opened, I'm not even going to go there. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Clearly, it was a Pentecostal service. Lifting up their hands, they were charismatic too. They bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, a bunch of other dudes helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly and gave the meaning so the people understood the reading. Now, Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go on your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet wine. Send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. There's a famous verse your grandma may have had stitched on a pillow somewhere. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites called all the people, saying, The poet for this day is holy to not be pleased. And all the people went on their way to eat and drink and spend portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So we, we see here then that we kind of honestly read this, it's sort of interesting to me that this just kind of reads out. Like church service. They have a platform, they open the Bible, they read the Bible, they respond in worship, they, 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 they respond to the word, they hear the word taught clearly, they're pastored and shepherded, they're pulled together in the community, they, they eat a meal together, they, they live life together. This, this really is a church service. And what, what I want us to see first is that the instrument that God uses to keep us on mission, both personally in his mission of restoring and renewing our lives, and also his people on mission in, in making him famous in all the earth and proclaiming the good news of our glorious, victorious King, who is victorious in all things, proclaimed through the gospel in making disciples and seeing the world turned upside down. That message, how he keeps us on track there, is through the gathering together of God's people. But more is going on here than just a religious service. More is going on here than just kind of doing a good thing and checking it off our list of, I was a good Christian this week, I went to church. More is happening here that is vastly more important what takes place within these walls. But church, if we're going to be honest, is a little bit, you come around it very well, a little walk. If we stop and think and, and just kind of pull back for a second, church can be a little weird. We gather together, we sing songs together. You don't really do that in a lot of other places. You know, we sit and listen to them talk. We don't really do that in a lot of places. It's just 
it's just kind of, it's just sort of odd, but yet it's, it's the instrument for which God uses to tell us in His mission and in His purpose in our lives. One of my favorite things to do is to look at church signs. I absolutely love them. Anybody ever, you know the old school signs? I like the old school where you can put, they put messages up inside of them. I, I write them down when I see great We saw one, and I, I apologize because my wife and I laughed our heads off. So we're driving down the road. This is here in Spokane, and I didn't the church it was. They had an elderly um, a care a kind of community built onto the church. And the problem was, that was, that's not the problem. That was great. That was fantastic. That was a wonderful thing to do. And they had this. And so the sign read, you know, whatever church and elderly care facility, helping people get to heaven. very uncomfortable. You've all probably seen the picture that's floating on the internet that says, church sign says, don't, don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. Talk if you love Jesus. Text if you want to meet him. <laughs> um, but my least favorite was the one that said, now uh, is a great time to visit our church. Our pastor's on vacation. Or the other one that said, want to know what hell's like? Come hear our preacher. Don't like those signs. Church, church honestly, is a little weird. It's a little funky. It's, it's, it's odd and it can be awkward. I've, I've experienced some of the most profound and significant uh, life-transforming moments uh, in, inside church. It's not just the week we gather with God's people. I've also experienced great pain, great struggle. But what I want us to see from this text this morning in the next few moments, because it is the, is the what really makes the gathering of God's people in the church a church service. Much is said in, in, in church culture about the organic or organism side of the church, so the, the gathering of God's people. A familiar statement that you've hung around here very much is we say, you is the church. We talk about the, the, the relational people side of the church a lot, but if I could let us here for a second, I want to point out that there's a there's a ditch in that thinking as well, where we think that nothing really matters about this side of the church, about the gathering together of God's people, or even beyond that, the structuring of how the church should work. The Bible speaks very clearly of, of the way the church should be structured with pastors and elders and deacons, and, and that the church should serve one another and love one another, and, and if we're honest here and throughout the, the scriptures, we see that God is very particular about what takes place when God's people gather together. I hear a lot, honestly, from especially, I'm going to pick on us a little bit, the younger generation about how this doesn't really matter to God, really, it's just, you know, my relationship to God, one of my favorites is, you know, that people will tell me, well, my church is, and then they fill in the blank, when I'm out hiking, or my church is when I'm at the gym, which I think is good. And my church is how you can experience God at the gym. I, Lord bless you. Um, I went there once, everything was too heavy to lift. People say this all the time, my church is this, and my church is that, or, or another one, I, I remember talking to a guy, uh, it was actually about two weeks ago, I was in my other office at Starbucks, and I was sitting, and, and he saw my Bible, I was reading my Bible, I was like, oh, you're a Christian, we started talking, I said, do you have a place for you to go to church? He said, well, no, I, I, really, for me, church is just, uh, you know, I have, I have what I call private church. 
military private? I don't want to say anything. I'm trying to figure where I just, what I do is I just like pick three or four Hill Song songs and then I just listen to a podcast and that's my church. That's church. Might I suggest to us that this text actually lays out quite beautifully church. And the first thing I need to point out is that church is the gathering together of God's people. While you are certainly the church, you are not the totality of the church. Hello. You need us, and we need you. There is something significant about gathering together with the people of God, gathering together on a regular basis. But the element that really makes the church the church, I want to propose to you, is this. It's the coming together, the gathering under the banner, and the hearing of the, uh, the teaching of the Word of God. Notice that in all of the things they do, the Word of God is central. The scriptures are open. The people respond. Even their worship is prompted by the reading of the word. They spend in this text all day hearing the teaching of the word of God. So that being said, we're going to be here until uh, this evening. None of you seem that excited. Um, now, I want us to look and see the central role of the word of God in the gathering of the people of God. And what I want us to do is understand why. What exactly the scriptures caused to happen in the gathering together and in their preaching. So, uh, what I want to do is just quickly here four things that the word brings. First thing I want to see is the word brings clarity. It, it says repeatedly that they had the understanding. My job as I stand up here and open the Bible is not simply to read it and say, cool, and then sit down. But rather, my job is to try to bring clarity to the words, the, the word might bring clarity to your soul. Psalm 119, uh, I believe it is, says that, that the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Does anybody else feel like the world is getting a little bit foggy these days? Everything seems to be up for interpretation. Everything seems to be up for uh, my own personal viewpoint. I, I love hearing people tell me, well, that might be your truth, but it's not my truth. And how is it truth? One of us has to be wrong. Now, I'm aware that we live in a world that there is a lot of, uh, of opinion, there's a lot of gray area. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is this. The Word brings clarity to every place that it speaks into. The Bible, the, the 66 books written by 40-some authors, are unique in that God speaks, and as He speaks, He speaks nothing but pure and unadulterated truth. So as... They gather together, as we gather together, and the word is preached, the goal is to bring clarity. I'm, I'm one who believes that there is much mystery in God. I, I, I love the old statement that any God who can be fully understood is not a God who can be fully worshipped. I would appreciate that, but I think there's a there's an over-pushing in that direction currently going on in culture where we want to make everything a mystery. And I, I would love to pastor you, if that's you, for a moment, and say, listen, there's, there's, there's enough mystery in life. Let's go ahead and build a solid foundation where we can. And enjoy the, the, the joy of living in the mysteries that are left. But let's build a foundation where we can build a foundation. The Word of God brings clarity. Jesus is the Word, and Jesus is called a light. Pushes into the dark areas that he brings about a light. And one of the first lights that he brings is the revelation of who he is and the revelation of who we are in light of that. 
Therefore, the word brings clarity and understanding that God is God and I love you. You're not. He is the Lord. He is the God. He is in control. He is sovereign. He is the ruler. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. It shows us who we are in light of that and the, the distance between that and us and the rebellion that lives in our heart because of that. And so, therefore, it not only brings clarity, it also brings conviction. Now, I, I want to be really, really careful here. My goal in preaching the word is never simply to offend you. I figure I'll do that enough on my own. Um, but the word brings conviction. If, if your time in the word does not rub up against something where you disagree with it, hello, somebody, then you're probably not reading your Bible very well. Bible confronts our thinking, confronts our backwards thinking, confronts the areas where we disagree with God. Oftentimes, in that bringing clarity, for me, this is just me. I see areas where I'm going to, I'm going to freak some people out here. I go, I don't, I don't agree with that. Anybody else ever read the Bible and thought, I don't like that? The question then becomes, how do you deal with that? Because um, I have. Very good news that you won't hear is good news. This isn't going to change. The Bible's not going to adjust to fit our thinking or adjust to fit our modern lifestyle. I know it's really cool today to want to be progressive, but I have news for you. This book is not progressive, it's prophetic. Which means it speaks to future realities that we don't even yet know of. How about that for today? It's more progressive than progressive. Beyond that, it, it, it stands as a rock that you can build your life on. But come on, it's going to rub up against some areas in your life. It's going to come and it's going to say, yeah, I know that, that you think this way, but you ought to think this way. I know you think you are what it's all about, but guess what? It's all about Jesus. Husbands love your wife. Ooh, hold on, hold on. What? I think that bothers me the most and convicts me the most about the Bible is that it doesn't qualify things. It just says them. Husbands love your wife. I want there to be a gift. Come on. I know. I have a little bit of I want there to be caveats and ways out and, 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 and exemption clauses, and there just isn't. The word, in its clarity, brings conviction. Here's the good news. It also is meant to bring celebration. And here's what I mean by this. What I mean is that that as we as we see clearly, and we see where our hearts are not in alignment with the Word, it brings conviction. But hear me, please. The goal is to move through the conviction to what Nehemiah calls joy. Or I'm calling your celebration because I have it. So, it brings celebration. It's meant to bring joy. So, here's what I want to tell you. If you've heard the word and it's brought clarity, and if in hearing the word it's brought conviction, and you're stuck there in this weeping and wailing and wailing over your sin, I want to encourage you to keep pressing because the word isn't done with its work inside of you. Because ultimately, the word wants to bring joy because your conviction or your sorrow over your sin, please hear me. 
in discovering the joy that is there, that you will overcome your sin. And here's where the joy is in. That if God loves your sinful, rebellious self enough to show you your sinful, rebellious self, because He loves you and He wants you free from the sin that seeks to bind you. And in that ought to be great joy. Not just that God points out my sin, but that God points it out for my freedom. Important here, I think, to, to back up for just a moment and remember that conviction is not the same as condemnation. The Bible tells us that for a believer, condemnation cannot exist. The condemnation comes and points out to us our mistakes. Conviction comes and points out to us how we ought to walk. I know that seems like I'm splitting hairs, but it's a very distinct difference. Because where conviction just says, hey, you stop. Conviction comes and says, you can be different. That's where joy needs to be in the midst of it. So, so if you're in your time, in your devotional time, if you're reading things and, and they're, they're hitting you hard and there's conviction there, I want to encourage you and, and exhort you to keep pressing in to Jesus. Keep pressing in to the Word. Keep gathering together with His people and get to that place. Come on. Where joy comes. Where you can see clearly the strength that God wants to impart to you for joy. Lastly, you see that it brings community. So this early, you're not meant to do this alone. This relationship with Jesus is not, it's not something that, that God has ever intended or designed for you to do on your own in isolation. You need other believers around you. It's my conviction from a reading of the New Testament that the primary instrument that God wants to use to deliver grace into your life is other believers. That's why it's so important to gather together and build a community. Listen, I, I, I'm not exempt from this. I, I, I've come to realize that there's a problem with, with blind spots. You know what the problem with blind spot is? You can't see it. But here's the, 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 the real rub is you don't know that you can't see that. So you need other people to be able to point things out. My wife is really good at this thing. She's fantastic at it, and it's one of the many reasons why I love Amy. Because y'all get to hear, you don't think you do, y'all get to hear somewhat of an edited version of these things. So I run a few things by her, and she'll go, who really shouldn't say that? Don't worry if I say it afterwards. She says she didn't say We need people who love us enough to point out where our lives are not in alignment with God's word. We need a community gathered together. We also need, though, hear me on this, that, that, that's the, the weakness side of us, but, but I also want to point out that there's, there's also a place for your strength in community. So we, I think we misread when, when Nehemiah here says that the priest came around the people and told them not to weep, for the day was holy. At least, maybe, maybe you don't read this way. I read that almost like the priests were walking around like, I, I spent a lot of time when I was younger in the Catholic Church, and, and I spent a lot of time around nuns, and they were really good at hitting me with rules. Dark sticks, usually. And anytime I would get out of line, they would, I didn't like that. And I kind of, when I read this, I almost feel like that's what's going on, like the priest are gathering with anybody who looks sad, 
can I maybe propose to this? That's not what is going on here. Is there being loved and disciples of pastor? That they're, they're coming around and saying, you don't need to be sorrowful. There's, there's joy here. They're leading them into that joy. And in the context of that, they're also leading them in serving one another. What they say is, we should be gathering together and, and eating together, living life together, and, and we should be supplying for those who have need. If you remember last week, this was one of the primary things that the, the people were doing wrong. They were taking advantage of one another and trying to make money off one another. Taking advantage of those in need and trying to trying to swindle them out of their land. And, and here we see the, the leadership of this church, if you'll let me call it that, trying to pastor the people into loving and serving one another. And so you, you certainly have need of other believers, but also, even if you don't, for those the, the one of you here who's just so incredibly spiritual, that you don't need anybody else, you know But you're clearly too humble to put yourself out. So, that there is a place for your strength as well, where it says if you have extra, if you have plenty, you should give to those who are in need. This is the community that the word brings. And what I need us to hear this morning is that this is all done through this. Why is it that as a church we gather together? Why is it as a church that we open up the scriptures? Why is it that here at Sosa we use it at the beginning all the way through that we open and close with the Bible? And we try to get it in anywhere we can fit a verse in to try to do it. I think I'm getting literally enough actually to like where else can we get a Bible? Because we believe it is through the word that these things are created. It's the word that gives us the clarity that we need. It's the word that, that brings the conviction that we need. It's the word, come on, that brings about celebration in our life. And it is the word that builds us together as a community. We are, in a very real sense, the people of the word. This is what makes us unique. It's in this fear, fear of truth, that we find out that God is a good God who loves us and made all things good. And it's in here that we find out that we were the ones that were held against Him. And the reason for the world being so broken, busted, and disgusted is not His fault. It is our fault. And it's through our rebellion and our unwillingness to submit and surrender to a God who's never been anything but love and desire to bless us, but we rebelled against it. And sin has entered the world. Sickness and death, plagues, famine, war, and even down the Bible, even down to those weeds in your garden. The result of our rebellion against Him. It's also true that we hear the great news that God was not satisfied with being the world broken. Not satisfied with being us separate from Him. Not satisfied in not having total rule and reign of His love and grace over the earth. So, hey, this good and gracious God broke through every barrier, broke through every wall we built to keep Him out, and He came right down and lived the life right among the rebels. He loved and served. It was a perfect life, a life so good that even today, you hear statements like what was on the little bump video where I like Jesus, but I like the church. Look, the life so good that even people who disagree with what he taught still say, well, you're a good guy. He lives this life and he dies a death just as perfect as his life. He died in your place and he died in mine. It's that rebellion that we had against God. Dealt with. So Jesus died in place of my death, in place 
Jesus is dead. Oh, Jesus is sacrificed. It's great. We're talking to raise him from the dead three days later. He rose again, eternally triumphant, not just over your sin. Hear me, please. Not just over your sin, not just over your failures, not just over your mistakes, but over all his enemies, over the entire broken system of the world. So that through the proclamation of the gospel, we might be redeemed and reconciled back to God.